Welcome to FNT Bible Talk, where we're going through the Bible and showcasing God's glory through His unified story. I'm your host, Felix Perch. On this episode, we're talking about the Book of Ruth, the beautiful kinsman redeemer. Everybody, welcome to this week's episode of FNT Bible Talk. Today, I am joined by my wonderful sister Rachel Carter, and we are going to be discussing the Book of Ruth. Woohoo! We're just going to jump right in. So, the last book that we picked up off of was Judges, and we really know that the Book of Judges focused on Israel's need for a king. Felix talked about in the last podcast how everyone did what was right in their own eyes, and that's the way that the book of Judges ends. And so you know that there is a need for a king in order for the people to follow that king and do what is right. And so we see that Israel truly needs a king. And then we come to this book of Ruth, and the book of Ruth begins in verse 1 with saying, in the days when the judges ruled. So we know that the book of Ruth is taking place while these judges are in their place. And this is a very difficult time. We know that Israel is constantly in apostasy. They're doing what's right in their own eyes. Mm -hmm. They're getting taken captive by tons of different kings. And then eventually after being so tired of the suffering, they call out to God, a judge rises up. And then after being judged by a judge for a decent amount of time, then they fall right back into it. And so we know that Israel's in a very difficult place in this time of history because they're not following God. So we open up and we see that we are in a time of despair. We are a time of emptiness and bitterness, which we're going to find out soon, which we see when the characters are introduced. But the beautiful thing about this book is that it closes with hope and joy. And we know that as the book ends, we see that the book ends with a genealogy that culminates with the man who is going to be king, which is David. And then later on, through the line of David, we know that Jesus ultimately comes from this line. So at the beginning of the book, we see emptiness and bitterness through the characters that are introduced. But then at the end, there's such joy and hope. And then it gets picked up by First and Second Samuel, which tells the story of how David becomes king. So it's kind of cool. Ruth kind of bridges the gap between despair and emptiness and judges and hope that there will be uh, a king in the future. Amen. And so we are introduced as we go along right off the bat multiple characters. And I'm sorry if I mispronounce some of their names. Some of you are probably better (laughs) than me at doing that. But we're introduced to a man named Elimelech and his wife Naomi and their two sons, Malon and Chilion. And basically what is going on, we won't read through all the scriptures. I'm sure y'all are very familiar with the book of Ruth. But basically what happens is they live in Bethlehem in Israel or in Judah and there is famine. So there is a famine going on and they need to flee. They can't get food um, or they feel like they need to flee. And so They leave, they come to this land named Moab, and while they are there, both of Naomi and Elimelech's sons take wives, Moabite wives for themselves, Orpah and Ruth, which is the main character of this story, or one of the main characters. Now, as the story goes on, we find that, unfortunately, both of Naomi's and Elimelech's sons die, and then also not only that, but Elimelech himself dies, so there's no men left. And so it's Ruth, Orpah, and Naomi, the mother-in-law. And just to point out, to be a childless widow was to be in ancient Israel among the lowest and most disadvantaged classes in the ancient world. And so I want you to picture this because 
for Naomi and the place that she's in, there's no one to support you. You had to live on the generosity of strangers. Naomi herself had no family in Moab Mm -hmm. and no one else to help her. So it really is a desperate situation. Mm -hmm. And so basically, without reading through all of it, Naomi comes to the conclusion that it probably would be better for me to return to my homeland because I'm hearing through the grapevine that people are getting bred there. People are getting fed there. And so Mm -hmm. it's been a while. Maybe the famine's over. I'm going to return. And so essentially, Naomi comes to this conclusion. I'm going to return to my homeland. And she determines to return to Israel. And she actually suggests that her daughter-in-laws, Orpah and Ruth, stay in Moab because that's their homeland. Life will be better for them there. And she even brings up the fact, Mm -hmm. listen, like, I'm a childless widow. I I don't have any other sons, Mm -hmm. um, you know, for them to grow up and remarry you. Like, I don't have, I have nothing to offer you. I have nothing to offer you at all. And so she Mm -hmm. suggests to them, why don't you just stay here in Moab? Mm -hmm. And honestly, Orpah, as the scriptures point out, Orpah actually agrees. After insisting for a brief moment, Orpah agrees. She kisses um, Naomi and she stays in Moab. But we see just this beautiful, already a beautiful picture of Ruth and her loyalty. Mm -hmm. And just she makes this eloquent statement. And I'm not going to read many. We're not going to read many scriptures in the book of Ruth, but I did want to read this one. And Naomi says to Ruth, look, your sister-in-law, and this is in verses 15 through 18, chapter one. Look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, entreat me not to leave you. Or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. And I love what Ruth says here. You see it. You've probably heard it quoted so many times. You've probably seen it on signs, whatever. But she says, wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people. So this was a noble, even outstanding commitment. But it went even further. She said, your God will be my God. And I just got this picture of this is more than just a change of address, right? So Ruth was willing to forsake. Think about it. She grew up in Moab her whole life. And she was willing to forsake the Moabite God she grew up with and embrace the God of Israel. The only identification of the God of Israel she knows is through Naomi and that family, Elimelech, right? And so she's willing to forsake her Moabite gods and embrace the God of Israel. So she right here, you you see, this isn't just a statement of, Naomi, I'm going to come with you. But it's a choice of, I'm going to embrace your God. And so she's deciding to follow the Lord. And she's a Gentile woman, mm-hmm. once far from God. I love this picture. And had drawn near to him. Not only that, but she left her home, her people, her future. And this truly is miraculous. And so Hmm. we see that in verses 19 through 21. Naomi and Ruth, they make the long journey. They return to Bethlehem. And during this process, Naomi decides she, she wants to... People are greeting her. People are saying, oh, is this not Naomi? And she tells the people, look, don't call me that. Call me Mara or Mara, which actually means bitter. And so we see... You know, she's she feels like the Lord is judging her. She feels like maybe because they left Bethlehem, all this is going down. It's just a judgment. But we see, and it, it really would have been easy for Naomi to focus on what she had lost. Because she lost a husband, two sons, a daughter-in-law. She had lost all kind of material possessions. And all she had left was one daughter-in-law, Ruth. Mm-hmm. Right? So through her lens or through her perspective, her perspective, she changes her name to Mara or tells people to call her that because she's bitter. Right? She's bitter about this and, and feels like she's being judged. 
But through that one thing she had left, which is Ruth, God was going to bring an unbelievable blessing into mm-hmm. her life, as yeah. Becca talked about at the beginning, in which we're going to continue on. Yeah, and I just want to point out that some of the real big key themes that we see throughout the book of Ruth is that, look at the beginning. At the beginning, there's extreme suffering. We see that they're in a famine, which is ultimately, back in Deuteronomy, God said that if they didn't follow them, that their land was going to be cursed. So that was Mm -hmm. honestly, it probably, it wasn't one of those things that could have been like a personal sin. It was just the nation as a whole was going Mm -hmm. through famine and much suffering. And they were too. And then we see the three people die. And then we see Naomi saying, call me Mara. You know, we see that her heart is aching, almost kind of like Job's did. God is almost kind of stripping her away of things. But I love that Naomi, Ruth, and then eventually Boaz, we see just like a key theme throughout this book is that they don't lose faith in Yahweh. Mm -hmm. They don't lose faith in the God of Israel. And because of that, they're rewarded and they are blessed. And I love to see the faith of Naomi here. Even though she is saying, you know, God has dealt harshly with me, we know in this kind of sense that she was kind of speaking like Job because we know at the end that her faith led to a great blessing and a great reward. And I love that even Ruth, like Rachel was talking about, when she gives this eloquent statement of faith, she just clings to Naomi. Mm -hmm. She literally takes everything that she has known, everything that she has ever been used to and she just leaves it all behind Mm -hmm. her gods her lifestyle her people and she clings to naomi and clings to yahweh the god of israel and i love that because we see such beautiful faith that is such a beautiful key theme in the book and that ultimately through that faith god rewards and blesses them So in chapter two, we are introduced to a new character and his name is Boaz and he was a relative or a kinsman of Naomi. And so we're introduced to him whenever Ruth goes to glean upon his field. And it's really cool to see. We've talked about in a few episodes ago that whenever there was poor, um, in the land, they were able to go and glean behind the workers' harvest. So if anybody had a field, they were supposed to open it up to be just to the poor. And the poor could come in and glean behind those that were working for the, the landowner and they could receive whatever crops were left over. And so, y'all, that was part of the law. That was a part of the Levitical mm-hmm. law. And we now see that it's blessing Ruth, it's blessing Naomi, and it ultimately brings the genealogy of Jesus. And so I just think that that's really cool to point out, but we're introduced to Boaz. Mm-hmm. And I love, I love how the, the verse brings us out in chapter two, because we're in chapter two now, but it said that Ruth happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. But I want you to understand this doesn't mean like the word happened here. doesn't mean, Oh, I just like kind of like pretense came upon this field belonging to Boaz, who by the way, happens to be, she didn't know this at the time, happens to be my kinsman redeemer or relative (laughs) of my father-in-law. This doesn't, it doesn't work like that. It's not by chance, right? It, it didn't, Ruth came to that field because God guided her there. And she may not have even realized that at the point, but I just wanted to bring that out too, because I don't want you to read through this and say, oh, by coincidence, she happened upon this field. No, like God was specifically guiding her to that moment, to that field. And like Becca said, part of the Levitical law, and everything going on. It was just a beautiful story. So as the story goes on and Ruth is gleaning from this field, she's getting food for her, her and Naomi, her mother-in-law. And the scriptures talk about how Boaz, who comes upon his fields and he's talking to his workers, maybe his head worker. And he, he basically just notices Ruth, right? He notices her hard work. He notices Ruth. And then 
he gets his supervisor of sorts to tell him who this woman is, right? He notices her. And she's made quite an impression on Boaz. And so Boaz approaches her. He begins to speak kindly to Ruth. You know, he says many thanks to her. And, and he actually says, stay close by my young women in the field. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap. Go after them. Have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? When you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from the young men from the well that they have drawn. So he basically, he basically, and I love this, it's very beautiful. Boaz basically tells her, look, in my field, you're going to find companionship among the young women. You're going to find protection. No one's going to touch you or anything like that. And you're also going to find refreshment when you're mm -hmm. thirsty. Go and grab as much water as you want. Mm -hmm. And so you already see just this kindness just oozing out of Boaz towards, and what a picture of Jesus, just oozing out of him towards Ruth mm -hmm. in these moments. And Ruth, as the story goes on in chapter 2 and verses 10 through 13, Ruth thanks Boaz for her kindness. She even falls on her face, bows down to him and says, mm -hmm. Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? What? I, I just pose that question to you. Just imagine us posing that question even to the Lord. Like, what have I done to found favor in your eyes? But mm -hmm. Boaz loved Ruth. He loved her. And he even talks about, look, it's been fully reported to me, all that you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, mm -hmm. how you've left your father and mother in the land of your birth. You've come to a people who you didn't know. The Lord repay your work and a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. Mm -hmm. And she said, let me find favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and have spoken kindly to your maidservant, mm -hmm. though I am not one of your maidservants. So Ruth's faithfulness to Naomi and hard work, it was noticed by Boaz. Mm -hmm. It truly was. And as we see as the story goes on, he begins to show her even greater favor. He begins to fall in love with her, right? And he even tells her, look, take this extra food, bring it back to your mother-in-law to enjoy. Mm -hmm. And chapter two kind of ends with Ruth returning after a, a day's work with all this extra barley, because this is during the time of the barley harvest, returns with all this extra food and tells Naomi everything. Like, I met this man. His name is Boaz. This happened. He spoke this. I said this. And Naomi basically is exuberant, right? With joy. She's mm -hmm. like, what? I could just picture it. And she begins to tell her, Boaz is our kinsman redeemer. And we're going to figure out a little bit more like to the extent of what that really means for them and what that meant during the, you know, the time of ancient Israel. And so then we approach chapter three. So as we see chapter two closing, we just see that God rewarded Ruth mm -hmm. in his grace for the trust and obedience that she gave to him. You know, Ruth was a woman of integrity all throughout the beginning of the chapters through this book. And so we see that God really continues to reward her as we jump into chapter three. So chapter three begins, and it, at the end of chapter two and beginning of chapter three, Naomi says two things that are very, very interesting, which we've kind of brought out. But Boaz, he tell, she tells Ruth, Boaz is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers, and is Boaz not our relative? So she basically says it twice. And she reminds Ruth that Boaz was their family redeemer. Okay, so in the Levitical law, what a kinsman redeemer was responsible for doing was to basically safeguard the person's property and posterity of a family. Basically, since Boaz was a recognized redeemer for the family of Elimelech, the deceased husband of Naomi and father-in-law of Ruth, Ruth could appeal to him to safeguard the posterity of Elimelech's family and to take her in marriage. It may seem forward to us, but it was regarded as proper in that day. What this meant was for Naomi and for Ruth, since he, since Boaz was a kinsman redeemer to them, they could approach them on behalf of that 
and he could restore or he could buy essentially or inherit their property and also Ruth and take her into marriage. So Naomi tells Ruth all this and Ruth and basically get, tells Ruth specific instructions as what as to what to do, how to approach Boaz, basically telling Boaz, hey, you're one of my redeemers. Will you marry me? Will you redeem me and my family? And again, it may seem a little forward, but this was part of that culture, it was part of part of the, the law. And so we see in chapter three, Ruth doing exactly that. And we won't get into all the details, but essentially Ruth approaches Boaz and says these things to him. But I love part of what she does. So part of the instructions that Naomi gave to Ruth was to approach him, uncover his feet, and to lie down. So at the appropriate time, Naomi instructs Ruth to go in, right, to find Boaz, uncover his feet, and to lie down. And some might think this was a provocative gesture, as if Ruth was told to, like, offer herself sexually to Boaz, but this is not how the gesture was understood in that day, and I really want you to see that. It was just an act of total submission, right? You're just uncovering as if he had a covering over his feet. She just uncovers it, and she lays down at his feet. Mm -hmm. It just meant total submission, right? And so in that day, this was understood to be the role of a servant, to lay at the master's feet, be ready for any command of the master. So when Naomi told Ruth to lie down at Boaz's feet, she told her to come to him in a totally humble, submissive way. And then also Naomi told Ruth to do this um, regarding under under your wing. So here she boldly asked Boaz to take her in marriage. The phrase can also be translated as spread the corner of your garment over me. So Ruth approaches Boaz and says, put me under your wing, right? Which just means spread the corner of your garment over me. And this was a culturally rele- relevant way to say, I'm a widow take me as your wife. So essentially all this meant was under your wing. All that meant was Boaz, marry me. Will you marry me? Will you redeem me? But I love this. And it's just interesting to note in Ezekiel 16, eight, God actually uses that same terminology in relation to Israel. He says, I spread my wing over you and covered your nakedness. Yes. I swore an oath to you and entered into a covenant with you and you became mine, says the Lord God. So that phrase, under your wing, when Ruth tells Boaz, take me under your wing, marry me, redeem me, God used that same terminology to Israel when he said, Mm -hmm. I spread my wing over you and I covered you. You became mine. I married you. I redeemed you. And I I just love that. It's just a beautiful picture. It's just a really, really um, beautiful picture. So, And that's how chapter 3 ends. It ends with Ruth approaching Boaz and saying, will you marry me? In chapter 4, we figure out, what happens in chapter four. After Ruth does this, Boaz comes to the point of saying, okay, well, I want to do this for you. I want to redeem you, but there's actually another guy that's kind of closer in line to you than I am. So I'm going to have to go make sure he doesn't want to do this first. And then if he doesn't, then I'm going to redeem you. So basically he goes to the town gate. He sees the guy, they ask him, he does it in front of witnesses. And he says, I don't want to redeem her. And so Boaz comes back and basically says, yes, I'm going to redeem her. I'm going to redeem you, Ruth. And we see this beautiful, almost kind of love story unfold. And it's interesting because Boaz was probably a decent amount older than Ruth. Um, mm-hmm. We It kind of alludes to that in the scripture, but we see just the beauty and almost kind of this like picture of Christ being our redeemer. But we see um, Boaz's faithfulness to keep the family institution of Israel alive. And then basically in chapter four, like Becca talked about, that happens and Ruth and Boaz get married, right? So Ruth says, yes, I'll marry you. Boaz says, 
okay, I will marry you, I will redeem you. At the end of the book of Ruth, to me, there's two main themes at work, which we're going to kind of talk about in closing here. And two of those themes is how it's, there's a picture of Jesus as our kinsman redeemer. And I know we've kind of already talked about that a little bit throughout, especially with that verse in Ezekiel that I read and, and as Becca talked about as well. And then the second theme that I see when I come to the end of the book of Ruth is how God is always at work in the ordinary events of our lives, which brings great encouragement to me. So I want to talk about the first one, a picture of Jesus as our kinsman redeemer first, and we'll end with the other one. But Jesus has been through the whole book, pictured by Boaz in the office of the kinsman redeemer. And I I want to bring this out because I want you to really understand what a kinsman redeemer is. So David Gusick said, the kinsman redeemer, and I wanted to bring this out to you because it's really beautiful. The kinsman redeemer had to be a family member. Jesus added humanity to his eternal deity so he could be our kinsman and save us. The kinsman redeemer had the duty of buying family members out of slavery. Jesus redeemed us from slavery to sin and death. The kinsman redeemer had the duty of buying back land that had been forfeited. Jesus will redeem the earth that mankind sold over to Satan. Boaz, as kinsman redeemer to Ruth, was not motivated by self-interest, but motivated by love for Ruth. Jesus' motivation for redeeming us is his great love for us. Boaz, as kinsman redeemer to Ruth, had to have a plan to redeem Ruth unto himself, and some might have thought the plan to be foolish. Jesus has a plan to redeem us, and some might think the plan foolish. I mean, saving men by dying for them on a cruel cross, yet the plan worked and it's glorious. Mm-hmm. Boaz, as kinsman redeemer to Ruth, took her as his bride. The people Jesus has redeemed are collectively called his bride, and you can see that in Ephesians and Revelation. Boaz, as kinsman redeemer to Ruth, provided a glorious destiny for Ruth. Jesus, as our redeemer, provides a glorious destiny for us. But it all comes back to the idea of Jesus as our kinsman redeemer. This is why he became a man. Listen to this, it's beautiful. God might have sent an angel to save us, but the angel would not have been our kinsman. Jesus, in his eternal glory, without the addition of humanity to his divine nature, might have saved us, but he would not have been our kinsman. A great prophet or priest would be our kinsman, but his own sin would have disqualified him as our redeemer. Only Jesus, the eternal God who added humanity to his eternal deity, can be both the kinsman and the Redeemer for mankind. Isaiah 54, 4-8 describes the beautiful ministry of the Lord as our kinsman Redeemer. It says, Do not fear, for you will not be disgraced, for you will not be put to shame. Your kinsman Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. For the Lord has called you like a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit. With everlasting kindness I will have mercy on you, says the Lord, your kinsman Redeemer. So I just think that is so beautiful and the way that Isaiah just brings that out and the way that David Gusick brings that out about Jesus just being our kinsman redeemer and just seeing that all throughout the book is just really beautiful. So that's one of the themes that I see just interplayed or interwoven in the book of Ruth. And another one is how God is always at work in the ordinary events of our lives. So we should definitely, through Naomi's life, definitely learn what she learned in Ruth as well. And we should learn that God's plan is perfect and it's filled with love. And even when we can't figure out what he's doing and it all seems desperate, he still knows what he's doing, mm-hmm. right? We should learn that like Romans eight twenty eight talks about that all things work together for good for those who love God 
to those who are the called according to his purpose, right? So the son of Ruth and Boaz was named Obed. He had a son named Jesse, and he had a son named David, and David had a descendant named mm-hmm. Jesus. Mm-hmm. So God's hand is all over history. He works out his purpose generation after generation, and limited as we are to one lifetime, each of us sees so little of what happens that Jesus sees it all. A genealogy is a striking way of bringing before us the continuity of God's purpose through the ages And the process of history, as David Gusick says, is not haphazard. There is a purpose in it all, and the purpose is the purpose of God. So we see at the end of the book, it ends with this genealogy. And it's just so beautiful, and it's so tempting sometimes to skip over the genealogies, but it's really cool to see how David was a, a descendant of Ruth, right? And then Jesus was ultimately a descendant of that. So As the Bible Project puts it, all of a sudden the seemingly mundane, ordinary events are woven into God's grand story of redemption for the whole world. Mm -hmm. So the book of Ruth invites us, as the people reading the book, to consider how God might be at work in the ordinary, mundane details of our lives as well. So whatever you're doing right now, it may seem very ordinary or mundane to you, but if God has given you something to do, just stay faithful to him. Because we don't see the whole picture. We don't know what God's doing behind the scenes at times. But this, it just brings it out so beautifully to me when we read through the book of Ruth. Just how God really can use and does use just the ordinary events of our lives for his glory. Yeah, and I think it's really important too to see what Rachel's talking about here on a small scale. And Ruth and Boaz's story is really important. But as you kind of zoom back and look at it at a bigger scale as well, y'all, this goes, this being fulfilled goes all the way back to Genesis 12 when God promised Abraham that he was going to have a nation through Abraham, and but not only a wonderful nation, but that he was going to bless all nations through Abraham. I think it's really important to bring out that Ruth was a Moabite woman, but yet through her line and through Boaz's line, God brings these two nations together and blesses all nations because Jesus ends up in coming through this line. And we all know that David comes through this line as well. So I think it's really important to see here that Ruth brings in almost kind of like the Gentile, the the person who was not an Israelite. And I, I just think it's really cool to notice from the big picture story that the one who is going to crush the serpent ends up coming through this line here. And so just like Rachel was saying, even though this may seem like a small little story, it's only four chapters in the big scheme of things. It's a beautiful bridge between everything that's going on and everything that's going to come and ultimately who's going to come through this line. And that is going to be the serpent crusher, which we know is Jesus. So we hope you guys enjoyed this episode. We pray that it blessed you. It is a wonderful book. And we hope to see you as we move forward into First and Second Samuel. Woohoo! God bless. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. For more FNT Bible Talk, be sure to subscribe and visit fntchurch.org for more information.